0: Come back, everybody! Now prepare your ear holes for another new episode of the What the Niche podcast with me, your host Andrew Morris. Now, before we get into this week's episode, I have a couple quick shout-outs and business to address. First, a big shout-out to my buddy Brian Rodman. He recently started a Kickstarter for his newest issue of his comic, Memoirs of an Angel, and he hit his initial goal within just a few short hours. Now, I'd like to see him reach his next goal for funding, so please search for his project or find the link in the episode description. Also, be on the lookout for his episode here on my podcast next Monday. Next, I have some new merch which was delivered over the weekend, and I'm excited to get it up on my store. The first item is a What The Niche Magnet, which you can smack on your fridge, filing cabinet, or that metal plate in your head. The second is a sticker that represents a sentiment we should all bear in mind. It says, Shut the fuck up and listen. (laughs) If you have any interest in those items, please feel free to order them on the site. Or if you live in Louisville, hit me up and I'll get them to you ASAP. And as always, thank you to everyone who continues to listen. Y'all are seriously amazing. Now, it's on to this week's episode. in this week's episode we will be discussing christianity
1: which is find a way to look at religion and religious texts through the lens of the people that wrote them i used to i think when i was growing up wouldn't it have been great if there were video cameras and uh, audio recordings of jesus and film footage of the resurrection and, and we could just put it all to rest and joseph campbell helped me realize Uh, that that would ruin it. Isn't that fun? That literal truth is the lowest level of truth. It's the lowest. The way that I love my wife, the literal way that I love her is like garbage. The metaphorical and mythical and emotional ways that I love her, that's, that's where the juice is. Carl Jung talks about like the human psyche or our spirit or our soul or whatever isn't transformed with ideas or facts, it's tra- transformed with symbols. So the fact that the, the Gospels weren't written, the earliest one I think was 70 years after Jesus died and some of them were like 100 years after Jesus died. Um, and of course the, the Gospels contradict themselves. I point out that at the end of the book of Mark, the second, um, the third one, um, Jesus dies and isn't resurrected. <laughs> so why, why is it in there then? You know what I'm saying? Like, if we're going for a book of persuasive theology, if I'm trying to convince you of literal facts, why would I include one of the four Gospels, Jesus dies and he's just dead? The, oh, well, maybe it's because that's not the point. If we were, They edited it. There was, a, there was a council that edited it, edited it. <laughs> They could have cleaned it up and made it more Greek logic, Western mind, this happened, believe it. But that's what we've, we've turned it into. The Bible proves that this happened and, and he conquered death, and now that's why I believe in him, because Jesus is a winner. He made death his bitch, and, and we love winners. So we made it the, the religion of winners and the religion of wars. <laughs> we made the, Jesus the religion of wars. <laughs> So we've lost it. So the, the Joseph Campbell showed me that it's not about literal facts or the unfolding of what happened in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. It's a story because sometimes you need an explanation and sometimes you need a story. And a story is going to transform you and symbols are going to transform you.
0: Life experience is the fingerprint of our personalities there are likely no two that are the same for every facet of your upbringing the choices you make in life your race gender sexual orientation or socioeconomic status can be responsible for creating those unique lines or swirls in the individual identity out of experiences usually comes Belief. Those beliefs are a representation of who we are, and they are dear to us. No one wants to think their belief is wrong. The swirls and lines that make up their worldview couldn't possibly have led them astray. This philosophical place in which they stand is destined. All the selections made have led them here to this conclusion but your experience is different than mine and mine is different than theirs and theirs is different than all of them a universal sense of truth for the individual is as difficult as understanding the meaning of life itself the subjectivity of life is undeniable, therefore making it nearly impossible to find a unified sense of belief. However, the commonality amidst the vast sea of belief and worldview is us. We are all people, and despite the thousands of different faiths, religions, philosophies, or belief which exist the world over, We all exist here on the winner of the Cosmic Lottery. So shouldn't we just celebrate this beautiful coincidence together? And let those distinctive lines of identity intersect and intertwine as we learn to understand each other and unite as a people?
2: You're so narrow-minded. No. You don't believe in anything. Yes, I do. thought you were atheist.
3: Yeah, it doesn't mean I don't believe in anything, does it? It means I don't believe in any God.
2: How can you not believe in God? Which one? What do you mean?
3: Well, uh, Zeus. Who? Greek God. Or Ra, or Ganesh.
2: No, not those ones, the real one in the Bible. Yahweh. Just God!
3: Well, you know how you don't believe in all those other Gods I mentioned? That's how I don't believe in yours.
2: How can you not believe that someone created all this, though?
3: Why do you believe that someone created it all?
2: Because it's so good. Can't just be chance, can it? What, the Big Bang? Everything came from nothing? That's impossible.
3: You're right. God did it. Right. So, where did God come from?
2: He's always been around.
3: There you go. Easy, isn't it? Go
2: on. If you're atheist... I am. And you don't believe in an afterlife... I don't. If you don't believe in heaven and hell and all that, why don't you just go around raping and murdering as much as you want? I do. What?
3: I do go around raping and murdering as much as I want, which is not at all, because he's got a conscience.
2: What? If death is just the end, what's the point?
3: What's the point in what?
2: Living. Might as well just kill yourself.
3: So if you're watching a movie and you're really enjoying it, somewhat with Kevin Harting? Yeah and someone points out that this will end eventually do you just go oh forget it then what's the point point? and just turn it off
2: no because i can watch it again
3: well i think life is precious because you can't watch it again i mean you can believe in an afterlife if that makes you feel better doesn't mean it's true but once you realize you're not going to be around forever i think that's what makes life so magical one day you'll eat your last meal Smell your last flower. Hug your friend for the very last time. You might not know it's the last time. So that's why you should do everything you love with passion. You know, treasure the few years you've got because that's all there is.
0: I feel as though this episode is a perfect example of how two people with very different beliefs can engage in civil conversation with respect and love. My guest this week is Joseph Freck. He is a father, husband, teacher, administrator, coach, and a solid example of a good Christian. In our conversation we discussed faith, education, friendship, and life on the road with Elvis Presley's band. It seems a lot of times people avoid having the hard conversations with others about their faith or their political views. But I feel those are some of the most important conversations to have. And I hope you find our thoughtful conversation as engaging and entertaining as it was having it.
4: My name is Joseph Freck. I am a I'm an educator and I'm on today for the podcast, maybe more of the Christian education lens or or Christianity itself. My background, um, I I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, Parents, you know, that that took us to church and um, taught us, you know, taught us, uh, you know, taught us that way and um, kept us in church. Um, As far as the educational side um, I went to Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, and also attended the University of the Cumberlands for the Master of Arts in Teaching. And so I've also attended the University of Louisville for the Educational Specialist. I'm currently walk, uh, working on the Doctorate of Education at the University of Kentucky. I teach at Doss High School in Louisville. This is my sixth year at Doss and my 11th year overall in education. I also was a head wrestling coach for a number of years. And so I have some great insight from doing that I know Andrew Morris from teaching at Dawes High School he and I have become friends and we enjoy uh, the conversations enjoy debating and uh, disagreeing on issues but finding you know finding the path to us still respecting each other and caring about each other and just understanding that you know our experiences and, and different paths in life lead us sometimes to different conclusions
0: yeah I think that's a great point. Um, it's probably while we were, were pretty, I would say pretty immediately friends, realistically, it it didn't take long. I don't know. Uh, I would dip in his classroom about once a week in the morning while he's setting up his classroom and just be like, did you see X, Y, or Z in the news? And then me and him would kind of talk about it, debate about it, you know, and get each other's different viewpoints. Um, and like, I was a first-year teacher there at Dawson in, in general, and um, I just treated him like I'd always knew him, much like I, I try to treat everybody. And uh, he took to it really well, and he never took anything that I said to offense um, because um, he calls me um, the liberal always. I'm, I'm his liberal friend, even though I'm more of a libertarian. Uh, he tries to just poke and prod me at that end. And then, uh, of course, uh, I am an atheist, um, so me and him don't necessarily see eye to eye, but as you mentioned, it's all respectful conversation as it should be. Um, and that's, you know, I've talked about him I've talked about this podcast to him and I, I've talked about this ad nauseum at this point, but these are the very relationships that I want people to understand that can exist because, uh, other people notice our relationship as well. When I told someone I was going to do this podcast they're like, I look forward to that because you guys disagree, but always do it in an, respectful manner and um uh, i really treasure this relationship because of that very thing um i'm going to dive right into one of the things that i think is really key um for the world and how um divisive things are uh people get misunderstandings and have misconceptions about a lot of different things and a lot of different groups of people uh, and i do think christians myself included um, there are some misconceptions that we can have in our minds, some precepts based upon experiences that we've had before uh, in our lives that got us to thinking that Christians are all one thing. Uh, and I think that you do a beautiful job of casting those aside. Uh, and I'd like to just talk about what, what misconceptions have you been presented with in your life? What have people thought about you the second that you say that you're a Christian and, and how would you like to set those aside and make so clarify that that is not who you are?
4: I feel like this could go a lot of different directions. I think there are a lot of misconceptions about any category by those that are outside of the category. So I think there are a lot of directions here, but a couple of things that come to mind right away is, is first that that Christians, Christians are full of love. Um, you know, the misconception is that, that Christians hate people, that Christians are against people, that, that we want bad for people that disagree with us. And the reality is I just don't know those people. Um, the, the people that, that I know, the Christians that are my friends, my family, people that I've grown up with actually really care about others, really love others. You know, they're the people that you would call if you needed something because, you know, they would, they would help you. And uh, so my, my experience, you know, has been, has been seeing that, that Christians show a lot of love. Um, now that's not to say there, there's not another side of that issue. And, and I know that we're going to talk about that a little more later, but, uh, but the first thing I would say is, is just that, you know, Christians actually have a lot of love. Um, Christians actually really care about people. And, um, and I, I think sometimes that, that, that message doesn't get out. You know, I think sometimes, um. Christians get us in trouble, uh, you know. And, and I, I know this will come up later, but but I'd say one misconception is just that that Christians hate people. Christians, true Christians, don't hate people. They they you can't you can't be a Christian and hate people. You just can't. So um, another thing that that I jotted down is just that a misconception is that Christians think they're perfect. Um,
0: <clears throat> Christians are just like everybody well, else. You really? might want to stop there because feels like you think you're perfect for a guy just you you might not be the best representative
4: <laughs> oh man i mean i mean christians we're just like everybody else you know you, you think about how somebody wants to better their life and, and so they take some actions you know if they're wanting to, to improve their health maybe they eat differently or they exercise or somebody wants a certain job that requires education they go they go try to you know obtain that education and And Christians are just like everybody else. We, we have, you know, we have some goals in mind, some things we're aspiring to be. And then we're, we're just trying, we're trying to become that we're, you know, we're making mistakes. We're, you know, we're having ups and downs like everybody else and and we're not perfect. And I think a lot of times the misconceptions that Christians think they have everything figured out. And so we're the example and try to be more like us. And, and I'll tell you that, that I'm not so i'll speak for me but i think i think christians would agree we're we're just we're like everybody else we're we're learning we're figuring it out we're not perfect and uh and so yeah
0: i think i think those are some really uh poignant things that you brought up there because if you are you know i um for background for myself i, I haven't mentioned this yet on any of the podcasts i was in a baptist church until i was 16 uh, and i wasn't a casual church goer i was there Every Sunday, I got on the buses. Uh, I went to Ninth and Old Baptist, and I went to uh, Beachmont. And I was an active member in those churches. I was baptized when I was 12. I would go to summer school, uh, vacation Bible school. Uh, I was really active in the church for a long time. And the people in the church, there were some wonderful people in the church, some of the best people I've ever known, uh, much like you. I-, I would definitely put you in that camp. Um, you and then uh, I'm gonna shout out here another one of my really good friends, Bob Shewalter, uh, who I would love to have on, but he's very technologically impaired, so I'll figure out how to talk to him. Um, you guys are the walk, the walk. Uh, you are trying to be nice and fill the world with love. And I think that that is unfortunate when Christians are out here and demonstrating or, you know, putting a face on for. The movement of Christianity in a negative light, where they're, you know, regardless of what your politics are, I don't think being out in front of an abortion clinic and yelling hateful, awful things at somebody makes that person feel any better. You're you're not coming at them, at them with love. You're going to have that. Just that judgment is probably something that should be left out. Um, so I think that that's a key point, and I also think that if you are a Christian and you're friends with someone like me. Who is an atheist or someone who may be agnostic, and you want to consistently talk about your faith to me? I don't see that as a problem because uh, Penn Gillette had talked about this, and I thought it was a, a really nice point. He had said that if my Christian friends truly believe what they believe, and the path to righteousness is through Jesus and through God, and they see me not having that, and they don't talk about it, they're probably a shitty Christian. Because if they really like me, they should probably talk about it quite a bit because they see me as a lost soul. And if that's what they truly believe, I don't get upset by it because that means that they care about me. The only reason they're talking about it to me is because they want me on that path of salvation too. So when people do bring it up to me, my buddy Bob, she Walter, uh, he literally had me over and had a conversation. Him and his wife sat down and talked to me you know, about what I believed and what they believed and presented their things. And I said, I, I love you guys like my family, but no, thank you. <laughs> and <laughs> and that was it. And it, they didn't take any offense to it. They, we still go to dinners and it was fine. And I appreciated them to be so thoughtful uh, and concerned for me based upon what they believed to be true. And I did not take any offense to that. And I think that that everybody wants to get upset. I think that's a lot of, uh, people's problems. It's like, how dare you, you think, you know, better. I didn't see it as that. They truly believe that. So it was, it was fun. So I think you talking about that love that came from love and any conversations that you might have in a joking way with me, you know, you give me a little, yeah, you, you, heathen, <laughs> you might say something like that. And I know it's out of good heartedness and, and love and you hit it on the head. And I think that that's important. Um, you have anything else on that?
4: Well, I, I like to, I like to poke you a little bit,
0: <laughs> yeah. so I like to get a reaction, and,
4: and I'll give you an example. And if you don't want to chase this, we don't have to at all. But I'll give you an example. So uh, Andrew just said that he he was in church until he was sixteen, and of course I was in church until I was sixteen plus. What caused him to leave the church and not go back, versus what caused me to stay and become more ingrained? And and set my foundations deeper, and see. I, I think that's what's so great about our conversations, is that we we really get into some meaningful things. That that's pretty meaningful. Why did my experience lead me a different direction than yours? Because we both. I mean, I grew up in a Baptist church like you did, Valley View Baptist Church over here on Old Third Street Road in South Louisville. Um, you know, and yet at sixteen or or, or right around there. You know, you, you know, you you go one direction, and me at sixteen, I go a different direction. Why? Why is that? You know, if something is the truth, it's the truth all the time, and so you leaving or me staying doesn't make it any less true. But why? Why two different outcomes? And so, just I, I think that's what makes our conversations interesting is because they're very real. We talk about things um, that are significant.
0: So, yeah, and. You get into a big thing there, we listen. And I feel like a lot of people are so set in what they believe that they're not willing to do that. And I, I've said this before, um, we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. I tell my students this, you know, I'm like, you need you have two ears and one mouth for a reason, listen. Because you're going to have a lot of confusion in your life clarified before you ever open your mouth. You just listen. So us listening to each other, it's not, and it, a lot of times I feel like people just wait to talk. They're not really listening. You can see them like trying to interject, like they're doing this like head movement, like they're having a seizure. <laughs> they're like, like, but you're like, just listen. You're not listening. You're waiting to talk. Uh, and I think that that's one of the practices that people can work on because, and i think that triggers from empathy and me and you both have empathy for each other because of that that similar life experience because we listened you wouldn't have known that you might have just cast me off to the side as an atheist oh he's hopeless but you listened and you're like oh oh snap he he went to church till he was 16 we have a lot of common experience and you know that's where people get lost. If, if you talk long enough, you're going to find something that you have in common with people, probably 95% of the time. And then you can kind of use those commonalities to trigger off and do other things using that similar life experience as a basis for conversation. So I th- think that that's really important. Um, so diving further into this conversation as a Christian, um, what do you think has been, within your faith, one of the turning points in your faith that has merely solidified what you believe? So whether that be your baptism, whether that be the birth of your kids, what is something that's happened in your life that said, oh, I know this is, this has helped solidify this so much more.
4: I think that's a great question. My mind goes a few, a few different directions, but I I guess I would say the most powerful thing that I ever went through as a believer, as a Christian happened, um, during and after my, my first marriage ended. So I, I went, went through the divorce and, um, not to get too deep into like making this a testimony or whatever, but, um, but you know, my, my first wife walked out, she said, I was preparing for, for ministry. I was going to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and I felt that I would spend my life in church ministry. And she told me that she didn't want that life and she left. And, uh, we have two sons together and they left with her. They were five and two at the time. And now I didn't know we were going to be divorced. I thought we were separating and going to work on things. And she went to stay with some family in, uh, South Georgia. And so I stayed in the home and, That was hell. That was hell to, to be in home and look in the, look in the bedroom of the little boys, empty beds, toys sitting where they were, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I spiraled down at first I was okay. And and I, and I did, you know, I did what my faith, you know, what, what, what we're supposed to do. We pray, we fast, we read our Bible. We, you know, we, we, uh, You know, we we do the disciplines, the spiritual disciplines. And I recall reading in the Bible before this had ever happened. I was reading the book of Job in the Bible. And and if you don't know the story of Job, it just it's a guy that that was super blessed and he went through hell. And at the very end of the story, at the very end of the book, Job says to God, he says, before my ears had heard of you, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. And I didn't realize as I read that verse that over the next few months, my life just unraveled. I spiraled down and uh, I began to drink heavily and, you know, uh, not to not to get too far into all this, but, but got into some drugs and got into some things and um, just just I was so angry. I was so mad at God because I felt like. I gave everything to you, and I was preparing for ministry, and and I was I was doing what I'm supposed to be doing, and my life has has fallen apart. I lost everything. I lost my job over it, and the church that I was involved in, um, you know, they they removed me from from the ministry that I was involved in because of of the marriage and all these things, and so I'm just spiraling and and just down, 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 and it, it culminates into a night in the emergency room, and um, and I think I was going to die. I honestly think that that, that night I was going to die and I didn't. And the next afternoon I walked out of the hospital and, and I remember thinking to myself, God, if you wanted to kill me, that was your chance. I I, I set the stage. I I did the things and I created a scenario where I should have died. And, and that's, that's what the doctors and nurses were saying. He's going to die. His heart's about to beat out of his chest, you know, these sorts of things. And so I said, God, I, you, you you could have killed me. I, I created the perfect situation and you didn't. And so what that tells me is you have a purpose for my life still. And so um, I'm not I don't have it all figured out, but I'm, I'm going to try to understand. And so that was a huge turning point for me. And, and it didn't it didn't change all at once. I didn't stop drinking all at once. I, I was an alcoholic. And so I, I went through a process and went through some time. Um, months, years of of me working through all these these situations, but but I'll never forget that time in my life, and and now that's been 15 years ago, and and I look back now and I think to myself, before I went through that, my ears had heard of God. I had heard about His promises. I had heard about how good He was. I had heard He would take care of me and He would meet my needs and. And and protect me and all these things, but now I've seen it for myself, and and I went through those those hells and I went through those challenges, and 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 God took care of me and and so I I found those things to be true. That was my experience.
0: Yeah, that's um, it's it's so it's so interesting that you hear similar things to that, Um, and so frequently people see that and I see it as beautiful that you're able to come out of that with that perspective and take it and frame it in a happy way. Um, so I won't, I won't challenge that too much. (laughs) Um, because that's one thing that I've learned regardless of what you believe. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me in those situations. Um, So I think that it's, it's beautiful that anybody can frame it in such a way uh, and use it to turn their lives around. Like uh, I have friends that are addicts that you have used um, Christianity to turn their life around the Bible and things of that nature. And regardless of that's what I believe, if they're using that as a means by which to get themselves back on track, that would be one thing that I would say for uh, these, what what you might call militant atheists, uh, they're going to, that are going to attack people for those sorts of things, which I don't really see the point. That's definitely not going to enlighten anybody on either side. So I I think that's, that's beautiful that you were able to use that as a a stepping stone toward the next step, because I know that you have um, two beautiful girls with your current wife and you know, things are, things are great for you. So yeah, you did good. I mean, (laughs) so you didn't let it fall off the rails and, I think that the world is definitely uh, benefits more from you being here because you're doing a lot in your community. You do a lot in the school. So I think that's great. So now <clears throat> with you and knowing you, there's a story that in a portion of your life that you have to share with people, because I think it's <clears throat> interesting to know this about you, you being a Christian and you now being an educator. Um, and that is relay the story of how you played in an Elvis cover band. You have to tell that.
4: Uh, oh man. I, I I feel like you're misrepresenting what I did. But it's it's kind of true at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I grew up and and I like old music. Um when I was young, mom and dad bought uh bought me a keyboard and a A radio and and you could probably visualize this that long Sony radio and had two tape decks in the middle and you could record on one side, you record yourself talking or you could record the radio or the other tape. And so I spent a lot of time with that growing up. And so I listened to 103.1 here in Louisville. If you guys remember uh, that was um, an oldie station, they played fifties and sixties. And so I, I fell in love with the old music and Um, stretching anywhere from obviously from Elvis, uh, but you know, all across Motown, Sam Cooke and, uh, Otis Redding and the Temptations and CCR and and the Stones and the Beatles and, um, Three Dog Night and just all across this 50s, 60s and then getting into the 70s. And so I grew up enjoying, um, Enjoying Elvis music. Well, little did I know because I, I was a singer and, and I I didn't think that I was a, an amazing singer, but I, I knew I could sing and I sang at my church. Well, I, I began to have some opportunities to sing out and, and people, people, they, they liked my singing. They thought I was a good singer. And so more opportunities came, more opportunities came, sing with a few groups, some regional groups. And then I auditioned for the Stamps Quartet and. They are out of Nashville. The Stamps Quartet are one of three Southern gospel groups, or, or I guess uh, I guess the, uh, the Jordanaires were not Southern gospel, but the Jordanaires backed up Elvis in the 50s. And Imperials sang backup for Elvis in the late 60s up until 71, I think. And then the Stamps Quartet uh, took over in 71, 70 or 71, all the way until his death. And so they spent all the time with him in Vegas and they they traveled with him and went to Madison Square Gardens. And they they were uh, they were on the uh, Aloha Hawaii, the first live uh, broadcast uh, worldwide. They were part of that. And so um, so I ended up auditioning for this this group, the Stamps Quartet. Now, the only guy from the Elvis era that was still with them at the time is Ed Enoch. So if you ever see any old Elvis videos, the Vegas stuff, he's the blonde haired guy, not to be confused with Terry Blackwood, who's the blonde haired guy from the Imperials. So if, if you know that it's the stamps, Ed's the blonde haired guy. Well, anyhow, um, I auditioned for the stamps and, and they, they liked my singing and they, you know, they, they hired me. Um, the stamps quartet, uh, historically sang Southern gospel. They are actually the oldest Southern gospel quartet, um, formed from the stamps Baxter school of music down in Texas. So they are the oldest quartet. And, um, so anyway, they, they hired me and, uh, you know, we sang church concerts and then we, we did Elvis concerts as well. I've sung in uh, a number of casinos, um, have sung, sung in, in Vegas a number of times. Um, the most memorable one was so what we you're actually are s-
0: is you did part-time the devil's work. I got you. <laughs> That's fine. Well, you know, (laughs) uh, rock
4: and roll music. (laughs) Uh, Treat me like a cruel and uh, treat me like a fool and and don't be cruel and all the. But anyway, that one of the most memorable was uh, the MGM, uh, the Grand, where where Elvis actually did his Vegas shows. We went and did uh, did uh, shows there. That was in 2014. That was actually one of the last things I did before I uh, went into teaching full time. So we, we actually were able to sing in, in that theater. And, uh, and then of course we, uh, we did travel around, around the world, um, saying, uh, sang in Australia, um, in Thailand, uh, Germany and, and obviously Canada and just, just, a you know, New Zealand, um, just a variety of places. It was a lot of fun. I mean, Elvis's music is a lot of fun. I prefer the seventies. Elvis uh to the to the 50s but the 50s stuff is cool too and so with me enjoying that kind of music as a kid oh it was it was it was no problem when they talked about learning the songs I I knew quite a few of the songs now I don't know all of them I think Elvis had like hundreds of number one songs and and has thousands of songs so I I don't know them all by any stretch but I love to see those song lists and and the variety of songs that I knew. So, yeah, so I did, I did travel and sing. It was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I mean, it, it was, it was pretty cool. I mean, here I am in, in 2020 talking about, you know, stuff that, that I did going all the way back to 2006. So it, it, it changed my life. Made, made money, paid bills, met some great people. You know, Eddie is still alive. The stamps are still traveling. They're doing mostly uh, European tours now. Um, I haven't sang with them since, um, since December, we, we did a new year's Eve show December four, uh, December, 2014 is the last time I sang with them. So it's been almost six years. Um, but great, great times. Um, sometimes at school <laughs> when I'm dealing with some of these kids, I kind of think to myself, life used to be a lot less stressful when all I had to do was show up on time and and sing the right notes don't forget the words. And now I'm, I'm trying not to do violent or abusive acts with kids because they're baiting me and trying to get me to, you know, so I definitely think about that from time to time, like life wouldn't have to be this stressful. Um, uh, you know, I could, I could go back and, and do some different things, but, but, I, but I love it. You know, I love, I love students. You know, I realized that I wanted to get into education because of coaching and wrestling and and I took a lot of pride in seeing my guys get better and seeing them win. And of course I wrestled and played baseball in high school. And so it was something I already loved. And to see them learn and grow. And then I thought, wow, I could, you know, I could be a teacher and, and actually do this all the time. And so um, I'm social studies certified and, and and that's great. I mean, you and I talk a lot of politics and to me, history, I mean, there, there's no better time to discuss politics and modern events than in, in a social studies class so I never shied away from from those topics um, I appreciated my kids trusted me and would come in the day after some crazy thing had happened and and, and maybe a, a, a person of color or a minority person had some some wrong had been done and for them to come in and say did you see this what did you think about that I love I loved that they trusted me and that we could talk about those things and and and, you know, and I would say, well, what, what class would be better to talk about this math? You're going to bring this up in your algebra class. <laughs> let's talk about it. Whatever I have planned, let's, we'll do it tomorrow. Let's talk about, you know, and so uh, it, it's pretty neat. I, I haven't really seen education crossover with the music. Um, not so far, but, uh, but it's definitely helped, helped to make me the person I am for sure.
0: Yeah. I, I I remember the first time you told me that and like, we had known each other for, I don't know, five or six months. And then you're like, you just talked about it casually one day. You're like, yeah, I was in Germany with this <clears throat> Elvis's original band. And I was like, yeah. say what? <laughs> yeah. It's like, you just can't. Cause I was a musician as well. And you know, it, it's funny that we're both in education now and we've taken, again, I see all these similar trajectories into education. Uh, and I think it's so important that people, and I'm not crapping on anybody that goes straight into education, Cause that's great too. Uh, I envy those people for a different reason because they've known what they wanted to do. Like my wife played teacher at six uh, and always knew, uh, but it took me until I was 30 to start going for school. Like, and, but I think that that life experience makes me a better teacher uh, because I can relate to the kids in a lot of different ways because I did things. Uh, I got to live my dream lead singer for seven years, played with a bunch of people that I liked, played at a bunch of cool places around the area. I didn't get to quite travel the world like you did, but, you know, got to do something I wanted to do. And I think that I share those experiences with the students and it it builds connections and bonds and things of that nature. So I I just thought it was a story that I knew I had to have you share Um, just because it's it's interesting to know that uh, you get outside of that stereotype for teachers that uh, we're not really human. (laughs) I think it's weird. Like you... I know that when I thought about my teachers when I was a kid, I didn't associate them with certain things. I'm like, well, they don't smoke because real people smoke and teachers aren't real people. And, (laughs) or, you know, if they would have ever talked about like, I got drunk as hell this weekend, you'd be like teachers drink. Oh boy. Do they, Um, or
4: seeing a teacher at the grocery store? Like, Oh, they're grocery shopping. I can't believe it.
0: Yeah. They eat what teachers need food and sustenance. (laughs) What? Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting that you bring it to that and um that brings you to you know getting back to the, the lens of christianity not to derail that or anything um you've been in in your faith for a very long time established for a very long time we won't talk about how old you are but we'll just say he's 72 beard gray hairs old um <laughs> uh it's the the mystery of Dawes High School is how old Joseph Freck is uh <laughs> but how have you noticed uh what changes have you seen uh in Christianity over the course of you being involved with it because I know that it seems to me as someone who did leave the church at sixteen I saw a lot of changes uh then which would have been two thousand uh so what changes have you seen? Positive, negative, or you know, what th- sort of things have you seen change?
4: Well, I, I would like to say here when we use the term Christianity, you almost have to define it. What, what is what what is a Christian? Well, I, I, you and I are talking, and, and we're being more broad. So, so Christianity is is uh, all the, uh, all the Protestant denominations, it's Catholicism. Usually when they talk about Christianity, they'll include uh, Mormons. They'll include um, some other, some other faiths that, that maybe, um, you know, maybe an evangelical would say, ah, you know, so when you talk about Christianity changing um, in, in a broad sense, um, that's, that's the way I'll take it is more in a broad sense. So the way the way I think that Christianity has changed is that there's been a lot of modernizing, even in my in my lifetime. Um, I know across history things is, you know things have changed, but things that I've seen change uh, modernizing like the music. Um, the music is is vastly different than um, you know than than what I grew up with. Um, you know they have this contemporary Christian and and it's um, it's it's praise and worship music a lot of the time, but then sometimes it's pop. Um, I would say, um, you know, modern Christian music is attempting to sound like what you might hear on other channels. So you'll hear um, their songs that sound like Maroon 5 or Adam Levine, you know, like that have that kind of a a sound, a lot of falsetto and rhythmic, and and you almost find yourself like you wanna dance and like, oh yeah, yeah, well, this is Christian music.
0: So I, I think, it goes even further than that. Um, if you go into, you know, I played heavy metal, uh, there is a ton of heavy metal bands. Uh, I can think of one despised icon. Uh, there's a bunch of different ones. Uh, what's, uh, another super, super heavy band. Uh, I can't think of the name right now, but ridiculously heavy metal band sounds very angry, but then you learn that they're Christian bands. So it's, it's manifested itself across yeah. all genres in, in unique ways. Yeah. So, sorry, I didn't mean to derail your point.
4: No, no, you, you're you're right. The music, you know, I I think years ago, I don't think the church worried about that. I don't think they worried about having music that sounded, you know, that sounded like, you know, secular music. Well, that's changed. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the one of the more popular songs right now that's going around. Um, is a, a a known Christian singer. Um, I, I can't think of her name. Um, but but anyway, it's a it's a song that's being uh, that's being played on the secular stations, and this this lady um, is a known Christian singer. And she actually recently uh, that album now outsold. Uh, I can only imagine if you remember Mercy Me had this song, I can only imagine, that that was being played on uh, 99.7 on WDJX and <clears throat> being played on all these secular channels. And and everybody's thinking, wow, this is like the, the biggest Christian song ever. Well, just, <clears throat> you know, however long it's been, 12, 15 years later, this lady now has a song that, that is outsold that. <clears throat> I really wish I could tell you her name and, and the name of the song, but I uh, I didn't write it down, and so I don't recall off the top of my head uh, Lauren Daigle is the singer, uh, uh Lauren Daigle, but I, I can't think of the, of the name of the song. If, if, a, somebody cared to, to hear it, if they Google search her name, the song will pop up. She has, but anyway, I've seen the change in the music, um, where the church uh, wants to have music that sounds more like the secular music. Um, sometimes I think the message stays the same in the music. Sometimes I think the message changes and, and, you know, I mean, I I don't really think it matters what I think, so I, I can't really weigh in on like well, I think that they ought to. Well, it really doesn't matter. I mean, if, you know, if if I'm producing the music or if I'm getting a check, I guess I could have more interest in what they're doing, but they're not paying me. So um, I've seen the music change. I think that I think that Christians are trying harder to um, trying harder to build relationships with with non-believers maybe more than than I had noticed when I was younger maybe it's just me maybe I've changed Um, but I feel like that because in the news there's so much negative about Christians and, and Christians have taken some unpopular views and stances and and you always have those those crazy Christians like you said that are that are uh, doing violent things and and saying that's in the name of Jesus, or, and then, you know, that's in the name of Christianity, you have these kinds of things that are happening. And so I, I think Christians are trying to make more of an effort to distance themselves from that. Um, I know I've had some, some debates with my brother-in-law, who's an atheist. And, uh, you know, he brought up like, for example, the Westboro Baptist, you know, these are the people that, that have the, the posters and, uh, say say unkind things um I don't want to empower the words any and, and speak all that feel free to google that but they say these unpopular things on posters and and uh, uh hurtful abusive things and and you know my my brother-in-law wants me to to defend that how can you defend it i'm like i can't I, I won't i'm I'm not there I didn't protest i didn't make any signs you know so I know you're asking about how how things have changed but I think there's an awareness. I think I think Christians are realizing and the church is realizing more that we have to set ourselves apart from um, from this part of Christianity, maybe in a similar vein to like the whole anti-racism movement, um, where anti-racism is, is moving to, you know, th- there are no bystanders. You're either perpetuating racism or you're fighting against it. And whether you believe in that or not, it doesn't matter. My point is, I think that Christians are being forced to take to take more of a, an active position in, hey, we don't believe that. We don't agree with that. And, and trying to be be more, you know, uh, more quick to speak up past that uh, changes. I mean, I, I don't know that the beliefs have, have changed any. I think, you know, at least as far as Baptists go, I think Baptists believe what what they have for, you know, for, you know, nearly 2000 years. You know they they take a, a pretty straightforward approach to the Bible, uh, but what I'll say is when I traveled, um, you know, church, churches can worship their furniture a little bit, and you know, don't move the pulpit and don't move this and don't move that and that kind of thing. I feel like I, I'm seeing that change. Churches are the the actual physical space of a church. Uh, they're they're taking out pews. They're putting in uh, mobile seating where they can stack chairs and move them out of the way and you know they're they're just changing <clears throat> changing some of the physical aspect.
0: I'm gonna um, borrow that phrase by the way. <laughs> what's Wors- that? Worship their furniture. I like and, that. That's a cool way I to mean, put that.
4: And you know if you were in church till sixteen, I mean did did you all ever move the pulpit or the pastor's chair and some of those things. So, Got a chance so in hell,
0: yeah. That stuff was might as well be bolted to the floor. I mean, yeah, they were like this is where it is. This is how it is. This is what we do. You're like, okay, okay, okay.
4: Yes, I, I like to see. I like to see that changing. I also would say that um, while while this coronavirus COVID nineteen thing is has caused churches not to meet in person, um, and has caused more reliance on the online church, the online church stuff isn't exactly new. I don't. I can't exactly tell you when people started. You know, putting church services on the internet, but I know that I, I recall having pulled up and watched services. I don't know, may, maybe, as much as 15 years ago or, you know, 14, 13 years ago. I don't know. But, but what I would say is it's exposed more people to that. I don't think people realize how much that was already happening with, um, with church services online. And um, I've heard the numbers have been pretty staggering. Um, uh, southeast christian church that's here in louisville i've heard their pastor kyle Eidelman talk about their numbers uh you know uh, over the course of a week people coming and watching the service it being um over a hundred thousand there are a couple other uh, ministries that i keep up with uh, a man named robert morris uh, that's at gateway church um i think they're in dallas texas uh, but they, they have been hundreds of thousands. And another pastor that I, that I really appreciate is Jensen Franklin that's at Free Chapel in Gainesville, Georgia. And I know that they've been uh, hundreds of thousands. So what I'd say is that the changes have been music. The changes have been maybe getting some priorities figured out and seeing the usefulness of the building outside of uh, bolting furniture to the floor and then and then maybe just this whole embracing the modern movement you know the online church and 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 realizing that some people don't physically want to come to church and some can't physically come to church and this coronavirus thing maybe has kind of um kind of highlighted that a little bit so
0: do you feel like the growing secularist movement has been any sort of um has it pushed the church to do certain things and embrace certain other things as they, as they see, um, is there panic mode at all? Uh, you know, as we see more and more people kind of move to that agnostic bit or, you know, kind of just a disassociation with spirituality in general, do you think that that has pushed the church to sort of maybe say, Hey, let's embrace more people or, or we will lose them. Uh, you know, cause if you, if you're a Christian, again, as I mentioned, if that's what you believe and you want those people to be, you know, it's not about like, Oh my God, our numbers are dwindling. It should be out of a general concern. Do, have they changed things in a, in a, in an effort to, you know, bring those people back?
4: I would say what you're asking is multifaceted. So I would say, that the church and when I say the church it's this big broad general term so let, let me be more specific. So the Southern Baptist Convention is aware that a number of its churches are dying. Um I don't recall off the top of my head the statistic, but there there are a certain number of Southern Baptist Convention churches that close every week. And and it's not like two. It's like thousands like thousands of churches a week. And Uh, the number of salvations, the number of, of regeneration, or, or, you know, I don't know what, what understanding somebody would have, but, you know, a salvation is when, when a person places their faith in Jesus and then they're baptized as, as a symbol, as an outward symbol of what, what Jesus has done on the inside. So when you, when you count, uh, when you count, People, that's one way that you count people, is is conversions, is people people being saved. And so the the number of salvations in uh, the Southern Baptist Convention is um, is I think it's uh, overall membership is going down, but I think salvation is overall slightly going up. And so you you have kind of two trends. Um, outside of the Southern Baptist Convention, I think I think it's a, a a tale of two cities. I think that that people are leaving the church, and they're, they're finding other things to address their spiritual needs. And at the same time, I think that the church is in a sort of a revival. At the same time, um, it's it's really hard to to understand how both could be happening at the same time. But but it seems that the data supports that. Um, I recall one one of those churches that that I. That I tune into and listen to, they were talking about last uh, weekend. So he was preaching on Sunday, but he was talking about the prior Sunday, and he said that they had given the plan of salvation. And when they finished, they asked people to text in and and basically indicate I prayed that prayer. And uh, he said that they had had around four thousand texts, and so obviously four thousand. Uh, assuming, just assuming they're all in the United States, they certainly may not be, but assuming they are, our population, 330 million, 340 million, doesn't seem like a lot of people, but 4,000 conversions in one weekend is phenomenal. Um, There are probably 70% of the Baptist churches don't have a conversion all year. Something like that, like 70% don't even have one person who, who is converted in a given year. So I think the trend is that people are leaving the church. And I think the trend is also that, that new people are coming in. You also asked about, I think you're, I think you're leading me and and maybe you want me to, to talk about some of the modern things like, like maybe, maybe gay rights, some of that in relationship to the, to the church. And what I would say is this, I think that, again, I think that's multifaceted. Um, Several prominent uh, pastors, nationally known pastors, have come out and have changed their view and position on, um, you know, on uh, homosexuality as it relates to the church. Now, homosexuality as it relates to salvation hasn't changed. Any, anybody can be saved. And, 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 and I don't say that frowning on that movement like they're the worst of the worst we're all the worst of the worst. We're all, you know, according to the Bible, we're all helpless and lost and hopeless. And so every salvation that occurs is, is, is a celebration, but just wanting to point out that some of these pastors have said, um, we, we shouldn't reject this movement we should allow. And so there, there's a a prominent church and I don't want to like get myself in any trouble by like, like saying names when, when it's attached to something that might be viewed as negative, but, but there's a, a very well-known pastor outside of Atlanta. And his father is a very, very well-known pastor. But this, this man at his church, he's taken the position that um, he feels that, that the church is wrong. And he actually uh, is allowing homosexual, uh, you know, persons to not only be in the church, but to be in leadership of the church. And, and this is a, um, this is a Baptist church, or at least Baptist and, and sliding sliding away maybe into something more charismatic. Um, I also read this week that a very, very well-known uh, uh, pastor in Dallas, uh, some, not a Baptist pastor, but a, a more Pentecostal church, has uh, taken a position. That, this is a name everybody would know. This guy's been all over the place on Oprah and everything else came out and and basically said he he thinks we got this wrong, so I think in the modern movement um, i'd say there's two sides there's one side that says uh, we got it wrong and, and let's bring people in and, and let's let's love on people and minister to people and let's put them in leadership and then I think there's another side that says um, we we need to be really uh really good at loving people and so um let's not get too hung up on, on always pointing out sin or sins. Let's just really get focused on pointing out love and, and how, how much Jesus cares about everybody. And, and, you know, Jesus is the perfect example of, of all these things. And so, so if Jesus loved people really, really well, then I'm supposed to love people really, really well. If he responded in grace, if he responded in mercy, you know, he, he was a radical, Jesus was a radical talking to women in that day and age talking to women in public um, uh, I an mean, absolute radical he also he loved
0: people he also sat with the individuals that would have been considered the lower level people you know when he would go into uh, some of the religious settings he would sit with the individuals who he thought were his direct followers rather than the individuals who were the upper echelon of the church you know he and that that was it's, it's good that you bring up that point because you know I understand the teachings well enough uh, just enough to get me in trouble, probably. Uh, I always bring that up to people. You know, like if you're a Christian, this this is a debate me and you have had. I, I hate the uh, the referential term of saying the Bible. I'm like, well, you don't really believe in the Bible because you're a Christian. That Old Testament book is not really for you. So if you're using like Leviticus and things of that nature, which directly ties into talking about uh, gay marriage and the views of the church on homosexuality. Well, that's not really your book. So if you're looking at Jesus and and I know that you were in the seminary and things of that nature, and we've talked about this before and you've never corrected me. I don't recall Jesus ever saying anything negative about gay people to where he says that you should not walk with these people. They are an absolute abomination. I'm cool with all this other stuff, but Oh my goodness, those gays, uh, you know, so That's why I like, that's why I enjoy you. And then I enjoy my friends, like you have mentioned before, Bob, the the real, the true Christians, uh, because I have a real problem with you being judgmental as a Christian, because that goes against the very things that I know I grew up learning. uh, And the things that I grew up understanding about the new test, new Testament and Christ himself, even being an atheist and not believing in that stuff. If there were a Christ and I'm not here to debate the validity validity of that. The dude was a good guy. I, I can't really argue with you on that. There's nothing that I could pick apart in any of those stories that I know that would debate that. Vibe. But my real issue is the misrepresentation of those teachings. And I think you continually talking about the Southern Baptist bit. That is why I left the church. Uh, I was 16 years old. I had acne. Uh, I had individuals in my youth group who uh, made fun of me on a daily. Anytime I was in church, they were making fun of me. And then uh, they would, not to get too crude here, but uh, right before the start of youth group or things of that nature, they would talk about the promiscuous sex that they were having at 15 and 16. Uh, And I thought, hmm, that doesn't sound very Christian. Huh, that's very strange. And then you're making fun of me for something that I can't control, yet you are out here leading this life of debauchery. Uh, It's felt weird to me. And then I noticed that there were no interracial, uh, acceptances in my church. It was very white, very whitewashed environment. There were no black people. Uh, and then when I went to, um, Beachmont, uh, there's a lot of, uh, members of color in those neighborhoods uh, you have Americana apartments, which is an apartment complex, uh, a quarter mile from that church where it's, predominantly individuals of other races, that none of them felt welcome to evidently come to that church. Uh, I know that uh, my mother, when she had went to the church when she was a kid, she had been cast out of the church because she uh, was pregnant outside of wedlock. And I'm not saying that this is going to be the norm for all the churches, but these were the things that I saw in that Southern Baptist environment uh, that it felt more judgmental than it did accepting. It was missing that love. Uh, and as I got old enough to kind of put my eyes on these things and, and notice these things were happening, that is why I kind of stepped away. And I wondered if, if your viewpoint of this was that those things are changing. And I think that they are. Uh, some of it the, is their hands being forced because I think much like uh, the it runs kind of parallel with what the Catholic Church is doing. Uh, I've noticed that the Pope, this new Pope, has come out. You've basically seen a liberalization, of the Catholic church where he's come out and talked uh, about maybe uh, prophylactics being okay uh, because uh, we have overpopulation and things of that nature. I think he's like, oh, snap, we probably should go ahead and say, yeah, if you guys would like to use protection, uh, maybe not the worst idea. Um, So I think that the movement is moving in the right direction, I'm hoping. Um, And that brings me to a point I wanted to also cover with you is do you think that it's there is becoming some sort of reconciliation between science and religion where it's unfortunately been a viewpoint like even with science like if you're a scientist and you say i'm a christian scientist and they're like what say who uh and there's negative connotations on that side as well so it's not just uh individuals who you know um within the Christian community who might you know uh, have that cre- creationist viewpoint uh, you know, where they say that, that that does not coincide with their views uh, when you say that the world is 6 billion years old. So what is your experience with meshing a nice balance of faith and science? And do you think that the overall community is trying to meet in the middle somewhere?
4: First, I'll say that I'm not an expert.
0: Of course. Yeah. you know, so, representative of all Christians. And how dare yeah. you? I thought I was talking to the mayor of Christianity. Again, I, I had a conversation yeah. with one of my friends from the acronym or the gay community. And he's like, I'm not mayor of gay town. I was like, how dare you? You misled me. So, yeah.
4: Well, I, I just say that because I feel that I'm pretty well read, but at the same time, you know, I'm not always, you know, I'm not always like, um, statistically prepared to defend, you know, uh, whatever position, but what (laughs) I'll say is (laughs) what I'll say is this, is that I think, I think generally speaking, um, I I think that, that Christians are trying to, and, and the church is trying to reconcile. And I, I think, I think that's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think the church has done some damage and all, all across the, the history. I mean, you and I've had conversations and, and that's one of the quickest things that, that people want to pull up in a debate is well, what about this? And what about this and defend this? And, and what about when Christians did this? And it's kind of like,
0: yeah, Spanish inquisition, the Holy but, Wars. There's a lot. Yeah. But, but I can't deny it.
4: It, it happened. It happened. Those things, you know, the, the abortion clinic that was bombed, it happened you know um uh, the the uh the gay man that was dragged uh by chains behind the truck it happened it happened and so so i think what the church is probably doing at this point is having to having to be humble i think about a lot of things and and kind of having to 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 accept that that some some very poor judgments have been made over the years um now how that Reconcile relationships. A lot of times, I think is what you talked about earlier is a lot of listening. Um, uh, Maybe you're familiar with uh, Ken Ham. There's a man named Ken Ham. The Creation Museum and the 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 Ark Experience here in Northern Kentucky. And not only is he over those things, the director of those things, he is a world renowned apologist and creationist and very, very astute well studied well articulated, et cetera, et cetera, and he did a debate with with Bill Nye and um, obviously it's like any other political thing, both sides came away claiming victory and and whatever, but at the end of the day, we had two very contrary views represented by sitting down and talking, and so I think uh, you know, versus, for example, the the scopes, you know, the monkey trial from almost a hundred years ago where you know where, where things it was a debate and it was an attempt to prove correctness and and you know creationism and Christianity lost. They, they were they were beaten up and absolutely lost. Well, this one wasn't really about somebody winning as much as it was a demonstration of, of culture and a demonstration of civility. And, and a demonstration of what disagreement looks like and, and articulating ideas so what I would say is um, pertaining to things like you know climate change and and um, you know some of these issues uh, and I think there's still a lot of disagreement uh, among Christians among the church about you know about what what Christians believe but I think the goal is, is changing. It's, it's no longer trying to persuade people because the average person is set in their beliefs. Um, I think that's part of why you and I are able to talk is because neither of us are actually trying to necessarily persuade each other. We're trying to articulate what we believe and, and have a, an exchange of, of, of ideas that actually makes us, makes us stronger, makes us more knowledgeable. And, and and so
0: on that, like, I feel like that is the best way. Um, uh, Dustin Sutherland, Dusty Sutherland, I had on, he's a Christian as well. He was, uh, in the Navy and it was a beautiful conversation. I can't wait for people to hear it yourself included. Um, being him, he was a, an avid, uh, probably more right of center libertarian. Uh, and I was full on liberal, uh, When I first met him, I was knee deep in college. You know, I'd taken some American government classes. There was a lot of things and a lot of life experience that had sort of pulled me to that side. Uh, and me and him did a lot of listening. We worked in car sales. We had a lot of downtime. There's days that you have one customer for the building. So you have a lot of time to just chat. And that's what we did with each other. Uh, we talked, It was never him saying, this is what you should believe, because I believe it. It was, no, this is why I feel the way I feel, because I have this wife and these children, and I went and did this, and I did that, and that led me to this. And then I go, I make the connections. He's not trying to force the connections upon me. I come to them myself. As educators, we know that those are the greatest connections that our students can ever make, are the ones that they came to. We present them with the tools and we present them with the the possibilities and they go, oh, well, if that's over here and this is there, well, the connection is this. So if I'm able to do that and we have that an actual conversation, you can change each other's minds because you never tried to. Uh, the debate formats are difficult because it's about proving you're right. It's not about listening, so that that was my issue with the Ken Ham and Bill Nye situation was that I don't think that either of them walked away with any nuance um, from the conversation. I think they both went, "I slammed him, ooh, you know, suck that Bill Nye," um, or vice versa. And I think that these these long form conversations, where it's not me trying to tell you what's right, not me trying to gauge what's right from you. It's just me having you share your experience and let somebody listen to this and figure it out for themselves because that is the way to, you know, create more nuanced um, thoughts for yourself. And that's important.
4: That's ownership too. What you're talking about students learning that way, um, that's the difference between a kid who's brought up in church and he's young Versus that same kid that's in his twenties or thirties or whatever else is—is there's a transfer of ownership? You know, when you're young, you go to church because you have to. That's right. You don't want to get a—you don't want to get a spanking. You don't want to get in (laughs) trouble. Whatever it is. But you know, if I go to church now, it's—that's—that's going to be the—that's going
0: to be the headline of this: is Christians spank their kids. (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to use that (laughs) soundbite, Frank. Thank you.
4: Yeah, (laughs) there's no fear today that that somebody's going to spank me if if I don't go to church. So if I go, it's because you know, cause I choose to go. And, and by the way, I just want to add this before I forget. So you're talking about climate change and we're talking about these things and just, just kind of wanted to add, you know, what I think, something I think people fail to, to realize or think about with a lot of these issues is that they're experts on both sides. And see, I, I had this same debate with my brother-in-law. You didn't do air quotes. Earlier.
0: You should have He's, had air quotes there. Expert. I can <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's funny because in, in my debates with him, we, you know, he'll present his expert and then I present my expert and, and all he does is attack my expert. Well, bah, He's this and he's this, and she did this and she, and it's like, it's like, look, like these people, you know, in, in a, in a general context, studied together, worked together, went through similar experiences together and came to different conclusions they are experts, absolute experts on, on both sides of every issue. If there weren't, there would be no debate. There'd be no reason to debate any of these issues if all the experts were on one side. Well, but you have people who spend 30, 40 years learning a discipline and come to a conclusion, you, you want to hear both sides, you know. We've
0: we've had this debate. Ninety-eight percent of the experts favor one side, but that's fine. You you do ninety percent
4: a... of of statistics are made up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) See, this is why we get along. (laughs) The push and pull. (laughs) Um, Well, I think that these conversations are really ended well um, on positive notes. Um, And what better way to talk about positive notes than inspirations for you? Um, What things happened in your life? I know you've talked about uh, one of the moments of your life that uh, solidified your faith, Um, but what inspired you uh, so maybe you start with that the the time in your life when you actually took ownership because inspiration is not your mom pulling the sheets off of you at three or I mean ten a m and saying you better get your happy butt out of bed um so what are some inspirations for you as to uh push you toward Christianity?
4: Sure, well, I think there are a few um I would say you know obviously, Jessica. Um, you know, I, I want to uh. be the best.
0: <laughs> she, she, does. she come in? She is right you know, behind you. Good call. I have call. To watch my back. I was winking at you. <laughs> you know, I was like, keep talking good about her.
4: <laughs> no, she, you know, I want to be the best that, that I can be for her. You know, I want to meet her needs and as, as best as I am able. And so obviously that, that drives me to, to consider how I can, I mean, what, what good is my love if it's only outside of my home? So I want to, I want to be a good lover in my home. I want to love her well and love Love my kids. Well, you know, you mentioned the, the two girls, so two boys, two girls, you know, I want to be a good father. I want to, I want to understand how to meet their needs, how to, uh, to help them grow and develop and, and reach their potential. Um, outside of that, I mean, obviously school, I mean, the, the, the kids we work with at DOS, nobody, nobody chooses anything I had to say it. No, nobody is at a school like DOS that doesn't choose to be there. Um, it is a tough environment. It is a tough clientele. And not only the students, the parents, That there are many, many challenges uh, for for educators who choose to work at the tough places. We could leave. We could go to the the, you know, the schools that uh, that pick and choose their kids and we could go to schools that have 95 percent parental involvement, but we don't. We stay put for a reason. We stay put because we feel inspired. We feel like that we might have, um, might have a, a success story, a turnaround. We might have the blind side happen around us and, and we crave that. We want that. You know, I've heard people say they feel called to schools like DOS. I've never heard somebody say they were called to work with the AP kids, the advanced placement. I'm, I'm called to work with rich white people. That's where I'm going to go work. They don't say that. Nobody says that. Oh, I'm so deeply inspired to go work with the, the affluent, rich people in our community. No, you're not. That that's a comfort. That's that's you feeding your desire for, uh, you know, your desire for, for comfort. I mean, and so, but anyway, I get a lot of inspiration out of that. Um, I would say my family, <clears throat> more broadly speaking, um, my mom and dad are just the the greatest. They're just the finest people, uh, my brothers and sisters. My mom, in particular, I wanted to mention um, because uh, she she's been a constant in my life. You know, when you think about uh, the older we get, we kind of look look back across our lives and and we 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 see things a little more cl- clearly. Maybe some twenty twenty looking back, and when I look back across my life, ups and downs, you know, uh, hills and valleys, you know. Uh, but then then you see the constant you know and I would say my faith uh, maybe my faith hasn't been constant but but Jesus has been constant. My mom's been constant too. My mom is a prayer warrior. she's somebody that um, that has truly dedicated her life to others to to being uh, you know to being a, a good lover for my dad and a good lover for my my brothers and sisters and all of her grandkids and great grandkids and and my mom has has lived. Or faith, they talk about, you know, walking the walk and, and my mom has done so. So I would say inspiration wise, it, it's, it's really people. I mean, um, you know, money, money's going to come and go and stuff's going to come and go and, um, you know, all that, but, but the people, you know, the people in our lives, I think that's, you know, that that's what gets us up in the morning. Um, so I would say, uh, that, and then, uh, coworkers that, that like to, argue and help my blood pressure uh go up and and give me some cause to think think about the hard things you know that's that's
0: what i'm here for bro (laughs)
4: that and grow grow growing my beard that's right baby
0: yeah we're both gnarly lumberjack looking dudes right now um well man i i greatly appreciate you taking your time out uh i know you got two little kids at home and you're trying to do your job and as am i with minus the kids um But I appreciate you taking some time out. I think these are the important conversations. Uh, I'm hoping that we are the demonstration of what civil discourse should look like. Um, I think that we are, and that's why I've always been such a big fan of yours from the get-go. You talk about love. I love you and your family. Beautiful, beautiful people. And uh, I greatly appreciate your time, buddy. We love you too, man. Thanks Thanks for letting me talk. Yeah, absolutely, brother. You take it easy. All right. So you